Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. All right, we're at, it's that time of year where we put all of our goals down, we try to do our resolutions, and I have to tell you, you know, as you get older, you start thinking, is there ever a time, as you're writing all these goals down, when you should give up on your dreams? Well, you know, when you when you say that, it, it is so hard to know. It's hard to know what is, you know, realistic and what is just like a such a far-fetched dream. But you always want to be able to dream and go, you know, pushing yourself to be attainable. But maybe like if you're like, you know, five foot one or something and you're like, I'm going to be this pro basketball player. And maybe you could, but it seems like kind of the odds would kind of be against you in that a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I, Absolutely. If you obviously, if you're, if you're five foot and you want to be a pro basketball player, but does it really mean stopping your dream, your dream, or do you just kind of reinvent your dream? Do you go, okay, I really, really love basketball. So maybe it's something I can go down into the sports arena, or I just have to change that specific part of the dream, but I can still follow these, these aspirations. Well, you know, I think it's really good to have dreams and to have something out there or a goal, you know, something that you're really aiming toward and you're pushing for and you're challenging yourself and you're, and it's, it's pushing you and it's pulling you and it's, it's challenging you to think differently and to maybe dig deeper into inside you and to, you know, be more resourceful for those things that you think, you know, this is really what I want to pursue and I want to be. Well, I know today we're going to have two dynamic guests on our, on our show. And both of these guys um, have followed their dreams and, and both are leading with great impact in their respected fields. And so before we get too much further into our show, we just want to remind all our listeners that you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty White and Lisa Jernigan where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at GirlfriendIt.com. And don't forget, while you're following your dreams, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, our first guest today, like Lisa said, um, just so dynamic. We've actually had her on the show before. Rachel Hawk is USA Today's best-selling and award-winning author of critically acclaimed novels such as The Wedding Dress, Love Starts with L, and Once Upon a Prince. She also wrote the Songbird novels with multi-platinum recording artist Sarah Evans, Booklist named their novel Softly and Tenderly, one of their 2011 top 10 inspirationals. So, Rachel, how are you this happy, happy January day? I'm good. How are you? I loved your opening. That was really right on. It was really good. <laughs> well, you are definitely one that has followed your dreams. You were in the corporate world for a while, and you said, enough of this, right? And just started, like, becoming a writer. Tell us a little bit more about how you you went from doing life to all of a sudden following up on your dreams. Yeah, it was a God thing. I have to always say that. Um, I wanted to be in the corporate world because I came up in the late 70s and early 80s watching Mary Tyler Moore, and there was the single girl, out, you know, the career girl, 
be a yuppie, graduate from college, and don't get married, but have a career. So it was very um, much a part of who I was to be in the corporate world for a while, but I always had this dream to be a writer in the back of my heart. And my father used to tell me all the time, Rachel, you're a writer, be a writer. And I majored in journalism at Ohio State and just was trying to find a way to blend those two worlds. But at 25, 26, 27, I really didn't think I had anything to say, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And um, I got married at 31, and a year later I felt the Lord tell me to quit my job. And my husband simultaneously felt the same way. And it was in that space where I didn't have a full-time job. I wasn't working my way through college. I wasn't working after school and high school. I wasn't in the corporate world working 60, 70 hours a week. I had time to think and dream. And Christian fiction was just starting to come on the scene with some force in the early 90s. And so I started devouring Christian fiction. And all of a sudden, I thought, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I remember specifically sitting in the living room reading a book, looking up, and started dreaming of my own character for the first time. And mm-hmm. I've never looked back. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask you, when you're dreaming up a character, do you ever, I mean, when people just have their, Lisa and I always say, you know, your shower thoughts, or right now it's downpouring rain, so I'm thinking just your rain thoughts when you're, you know, yeah, just having yeah. that time alone and you're being still. So do you ever get so caught up? in your characters and into these dream thoughts that you find yourself, like your husband's talking to you and you're going, Oh, I have no idea what he, I know you probably can't admit to that, but I have no idea what he just said because you're kind of in this whole other world. Oh, completely. I'm in a whole other world. In fact, yesterday, I think he was working at home yesterday as well. And I was upstairs doing some editing and I don't think I knew half of what he would say. I think I said, what would you say? Every time he said something to me. So <laughs> I get caught up in them a lot. And um, Or I'll just kind of sit and daydream. And, um, yeah, I'll be just thinking of those characters. And out of the blue, I'll say something into the conversation if people are talking around me. Like, oh, what about this? And they're like, what? We're talking about sports and you're talking about a character what where'd you come from and so I definitely find myself dreaming because that's where you get the heart of the character that's when you start to feel what they feel and so you have to have those moments where you you do get lost in them the hard part is getting those moments and that feeling onto the page Mm. (laughs) and that's the hard part Mm. well and it really is about creating that space where you can dream and you know you got to let go kind of the distractions and the clutter that surrounds you and like you said when you have that space and you weren't so enmeshed in life and busyness and going from here to there that you just sit and be still but we don't give ourselves that opportunity to be still because we feel lazy or we you know we whatever and we and we feel like we're unproductive but yet that is we need that space to really like you said if you if there's a dream or a goal it's like i gotta think this through and give ourselves that space for thinking well i had a question that i wanted to ask you when you said you know you when you kind of left that and you started reading and the christian fiction was there um a writer or a book that really inspired you or a series that you went, okay, I could do this. And this has really got my attention. Was there something that you were, that really was a motivation, a book or an author? Yeah, a a couple of them. I really loved Davis Bunn and actually got to meet him years later. And he lives in my area of the Florida about six months of the year. So I've actually gotten to know him and be a friend. Uh, Brock and Bodie Taney wrote a, um, a depression series and it, the, the, it escapes my mind, the series title at this moment, 
But I, I loved that series. Uh, they wrote a series set in Ireland that I love. Um, Lori Wick was huge in romance in those days, so I was devouring Lori Wick novels. And so I was reading a lot of World War II novels because that, that was a lot that was being produced at that time. Gilbert Morris, reading a lot of him. So, yeah, those books were starting to impact my heart and make me go, wait a minute, I think I can do this. I, I see what they're doing. I think I can try it. So, mm. yeah. Okay, I have to ask you, um, in, in your new book, The Wedding Chapel, uh, you, you go through some, um, just the communication breakdown, and I want to talk a little bit about that. But I have to tell you, in my own family, I kind of have that, um, my big fat Greek wedding thing going on with all of my brothers <laughs> okay. and sisters. And so there's there's one um, niece that is choosing to not elope, but have a wedding without all of the chaos and the ruckus, and it's right. killing everyone. Like everyone, this is causing this, I mean, just major communication issue that's taking place. And individually at Christmas time, people will come up to her and try to get her to explain, like, so now why are you having this little private wedding? Like, why wouldn't you invite me? Why don't you want me in the wedding? And it's right, right, right. Just like oh, wow. crazy. So um, you go in with, with Taylor and Jack. And you have them, you know, just eloping right after they, they connect. So tell us a little bit, did any of this take place in your world that you created this um, issue here of, of having them just go off and elope? So, you, so did it happen to me personally in my world, in my life? Yeah, did you have something? Because I, I would love for someone to write about this that's going on. It's hysterical. It's like watching a sitcom to, to see well, this. actually... I was just thinking, um, after this interview, let's, let's you and I talk. That sounds like something <laughs> I could work with. <laughs> um, no, it, that has never happened in my family. Um, but I know it's out there, you know, television, news stories, talking to other people, hearing your family story. So for me, it was a lot of times now at this stage, after 25 books, I go, what haven't I done? And then I start to pick that apart and think, well, how can I do that differently, or can I do something I haven't done before? And I had not done an elopement. And so it just seemed like something to do with these two characters. And an elopement feels like something spontaneous for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I, so I put them in this spontaneous situation because I wanted them at the opening of the book to, to be asking themselves the question of, well, what did we do? Do we know what we're doing? Because I knew that both of them had this kind of, bittersweet background when it came to family and relationships and marriage. And so that's kind of how I develop a story. I figure out who my characters are, and then I think, what can I put on the main stage that picks at those issues in their life that they aren't aware of? Mm. Wow. Okay, we have just a, a minute or so until we have to take a break. But when you're doing like this character development, because I would just be staring at a blank screen and um, – and I mean, I, I love how you can let your imagination and just, you know, go into the character. And what would they do? What would they be thinking? Does, how much time does that really take for you to develop? Does some of them just come so quickly? And then there's others like, I have to really think about this person or get inspiration from watching somebody that I can kind of borrow from. You, yeah, you steal from life. You know, my husband will say, if we're meeting people for the first time, I just want to let you know Rachel's an author, and she probably will steal something you say and put it in her book. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> you know, it is borrowing life, observing life, hearing stories. I mean, it really was inspired by this whole Greek wedding thing. I thought, wow, I think I could do something with that. <laughs> but um, it's work. I actually use a little bit of, not a formula, a formula, I do. A formula not to write the book, a formula to kind of develop the character. I start asking very specific questions about their background, the, the wound of their past, the lie that they believe about life themselves or God. Okay, um, Rachel, we're going to have to stop right there. And yeah, we're going to have sure. with more questions for you about questions about your character. We'll be right back. Okay. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With Thanksgiving upon us, Weight Watchers offers tips so you can enjoy the holiday without guilt and without a feeling as though you're competing with the turkey in the stuffed steaks. You can enjoy the celebration and still not fall off your healthy eating plan. If you are currently working towards losing weight, Remember that Thanksgiving is just one day, not a week long. They recommend that number one, you decide how much of your favorite food will satisfy you. Number two, select once a year foods. Number three, just say no when you're pressured by others to take seconds or thirds and stop when you're full. Number four, remember that all foods have benefits. And finally, number five, broaden your focus. Thanksgiving is not just about delicious food. It's about being with the people you love and being thankful for this great country that we live in. I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to our show. We are back with our special guest and author, Rachel Hawk. And we were discussing how Rachel builds the characters in her book. And Rachel, you managed to use symbolism that reminds us of timeless truths about love, especially in a day when marriage seems incredibly disposable. And I'm going to hijack the conversation because Lisa had a great question for you, but I'm going to, of course, make my question even more important. Um, <laughs> sorry, Lisa. <laughs> but I have to ask you, why is the first year of marriage, why do you think it's so hard? And you do a great job in your book of just making it so real with 
what couples do have to go through. So what advice can you offer to young married couples when they're dealing in their first year of marriage? And that's a really great question. I think it's hard because different people come with different expectations and different personalities. My husband and I were best friends for four years by the time we got married, and we're both um, kind of easygoing and compliant kids, you know. And so we hardly ever had any disagreements at all in our first year of marriage, and we knew each other pretty well. But there are people who come together, and they're just more driven, more strong-willed, and you really have to learn how to stop and listen to each other. So I would say to a young married couple, someone who's about to enter marriage, and during that first year, just stop and listen to one another. You know, Mm -hmm. just love well. You know, so what if, you know, you do most of the dishes? Love well. You know, love that person. Serve that person. And definitely go to God. I think that I avoided a lot of uh, conflict with my husband, a lot of arguments, by just saying, okay, God, this is bugging me. You know, show us how to get out of this. Change my heart. Change his heart. Whatever needs to be done here, but I'm bringing it to you. And a lot of times, by the time I got done praying and got through the day, I didn't even care anymore. And I'm not talking about severe issues, obviously, like abuse or, you know, taking money from the from the family funds or misspending money and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I'm just talking about just general everyday, your will versus his kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I just think it means just stop and listen. Be willing to change. Yeah, do you feel like um, just – you know, talking about in a day where marriage does seem incredibly disposable, that the the millennials, just that entitlement of going into a marriage and expecting their needs to be met, do you think it's harder? Because, um, I, I mean, you don't want to put down the, the next generation because they bring a lot of just incredible things to the table. But Absolutely. It's, do you think it's harder, though, for them in their first year of marriage because they have had everything catered to them? I mean, I, I was laughing the other day. My 14-year-old daughter, it's like she was panicking because she had taken a test that day and they hadn't put it into her portal, you know, yet. Because they, they have instant access to whatever they're doing, instant gratification, you know, between the microwave yeah. and someone liking their Instagram, it's like instantly they get that feedback. And I I think, how do they go into a marriage with just that automatic, they want instant gratification? Um, Do you think that it does change things with the next generation? Uh, That's an amazing question. I can't really say because I think humans are humans. And I think when love is on the table, we yeah. all want instant gratification. We all want the fairy tale because, you know, let's look back at our grandparents or our parents or even ourselves when we didn't grow up without this social media world or instant gratification world. I mean, I can think of tons of young women who went into marriage with high ideals and within the first week we're going, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just our expectation of marriage and our expectation of people and love and that partner but I definitely feel like there are challenges with social media, like how much time do you spend on Facebook, how much time do you spend texting. When you sit down to have dinner, are you texting somebody or and looking on Facebook, or are you face-to-face? I think mm-hmm. that's the bigger challenge mm-hmm. is building the relationship post-marriage by not having social media be a part of it. I saw a picture the other day on Facebook, and it said, I'm so happy to be with my family. And in the picture, everybody in the family was on their phone. 
Oh, okay. That is. They were sitting in the same room, but they were all on their phone. <laughs> yeah. We just did a bowling party for a bunch of the kids in my church, in my youth group. And, um, they would go bowl, they would throw the ball down and they would sit down and they would immediately, I looked up and every girl is on their phone. They're not talking to each other. They're just, and you, it's so foreign to me because you're, it's yeah. like, wait, we're, we're supposed to be connecting. This is an incredible time of face to face. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. insane. It's interesting. I, I was, I saw some the other day when one of the comedians was, um, they've come up with this device and when people, the audience comes in to watch, to listen to a show, they put, they give you the sleeve thing that you put your phone into, which it silences it. You can't feel it vibrate. You can't hear it so that the audience has to pay attention wow. to him and interact. And there's no distraction with the phone. Cause he said, you know, he'd be up there delivering things and people are looking down and they're like not engaged. And he said, it has been amazing, the transformation of, of him being able to do his, you know, his routine, but the people are actually enjoying it a lot more too, because they don't have another option and they're, in, they're sitting there engaged. And so they were talking about, you know, the possibility, this is a thing that could be used in different settings, schools or whatever, where you really are, you know, asking him dis, disconnect from this. So you can totally be in the present and in the moment and the eye to eye. And I think that was very interesting because now that's just how we do life. And you're, and you're, you kind of almost get used to, you know, it's looking at people and they're half, you know, half the time they're looking at you and half the time they're looking down. And, um, it is, you know, and, 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 and it is, it's hard. Cause you're just like, okay, I don't know if you're with me or not. And it's changed the way we communicate now, you well, know, with people. Definitely. Especially when you're thinking of body language and voice tone comprise 93% of our message. So if you're looking at your phone, you're, you literally are really missing the message because only 7% is the words. And that, that's what's so crazy that we don't get, we think we can multitask, but it's like, especially all the studies that are coming out right now saying there's no such thing as multitasking. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I'm, I'm a multitasker. <laughs> Don't tell me that. I, I'm a multitasker. You know, I think what you guys are saying is completely valid, especially going back to the bowling thing. I think the reason why you're on your phone when you're at home is because you want to be with your friends. Then you go bowling with your friends from youth church, and you're on your phone. It's like, hey, look at your friends. This is how you build those relationships. Um, you know, I think back to my day, it would have been the telephone. You know, I remember the telephone ringing and diving for it, just waiting for that friend or that guy I like to call. Yeah. Um, but I, I do feel like the device can get in the way. I love that the comedian developed some way to silence the phone because I lead worship at my church and I look out and I see people standing for worship, but they're looking down and their thumbs are going over their phone or their tablet or whatever. And I'm like, put the thing down. You're supposed to be gazing up at Jesus at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and then things go wrong in their life or they're not satisfied or they're bored with church. And I said, of course, because you put something that has your affection more than Jesus in that place where your affection should be 100% on Jesus. I mean, everybody in there is about Jesus. There should be no distraction. You've got music. You've got someone leading you in singing. You've got the word. You've got your friends and family. Why are you looking at your tablet? Why are you looking at your phone? This is the time where we really know where our affections are. And mm. so that's, that's devastating sometimes. Yeah. We're not sold out for the moment. We're just on right. to the next thing. Yeah. Well, I think we're afraid to miss something. Like something's happening um, outside of where we are, and we don't want to miss it. 
So we want to stay so connected to be in the know or, if, or be so accessible with somebody. And so we're, but we're missing the present moments and, and right the, the immediate. Well, um, we just want to transition a little bit because we just, we don't have much time. And again, Rachel, thank you so much for just joining our show. And it's so fun to have these conversations and just kind of, you know, um, kind of get behind the scenes a little bit, but in your book, um, the, the, the wedding chapel, what is it as you were sitting and writing and you're developing the characters and, and you're kind of coming up with your plot and the ending, as you're doing this, you know, I would imagine you're going, okay, this is what I want my readers to walk away with, you know, through all of this. This is the why. What is that for you with this book? I kind of want them to walk away with knowing how much they're loved by the Lord and that he never gives up on them and that it's never too late for love. It's just never too late to love someone, whether it's, you know, a lost love like we discover in the story or whether it's a family member or friend, that um, it's never too late to love, and it's never too late to hear the voice of God in your heart and in your life. And I, I really feel like this book has a lot of elements of healing. There's a healing of family relationships, of misconception. We discover throughout this story there's some bitterness between family members that is all based on misunderstanding. Mm. And if someone would have just had an honest conversation with the other one growing up or you know, been honest about what they saw as a young child or a young teenager, actually, then a whole, you know, 20 years, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years of misunderstanding would have been eradicated. And so I feel like in the last year of my writing that the Lord was really putting on my heart this love well theme, like just love well. Romans 13 has a verse that I just absolutely adore. It says, "Um, owe nothing to no one but the debt of love. All I owe you guys is love. I, and, and I shouldn't owe you anything else. You know, I should handle offenses. I should handle money. I should handle words and all of those things in a godly manner. But what I owe you constantly is my love. And so I feel like that's something that kind of resonates throughout this book is just love. Hmm. And that, that is such a great reminder. And, you know, as you're saying this about, you know, so many times we waste so many years because of misunderstandings or we let things fester. And one of the things yeah. I, always, I always taught with my kids is keep it current. You know, if, if there's something bothering you, keep it current because then what happens eventually at some point in time, you're going to erupt and it's going to be 10 things. Something's going to hit, you know, just be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it's going to be not about that one issue, which that person thinks, but it's going to be 10 things that have been bothering you below the surface. So if we just keep it current, um, it, it, we save so much time and, and it, and preserves the relationships. And, you, and it is sad when you look back and going, we lost 10 years so we could have been enjoying each other and having fun over a simple misunderstanding that if we would have dealt with it right then, look what we could have had, you know, right. and you don't want to have that regret. Well, we just have a couple seconds. Give us again, um, we have 30 seconds. How can they find, how can our listeners find you? Just go to my website, rachelhauk.com. It's R-A-C-H-E-L-H-A-U-C-K, rachelhauk.com. And then from there, you can find me on Facebook or look up Rachel Halk on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr, so I'm all over. Just um, come and hang out with me. I love I'm giving away some Kindle tablets throughout the year, so people come and hang around my Facebook page. We'll get to enjoy some fun giveaways this year. Thank you so much, Rachel. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Thank you.
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's Virgin Network. Have you ever been told that sometimes you talk in your sleep? Almost all of us have. The first thing I wonder is, did I say anything embarrassing? Relax. Studies have found that most sleep talking, also known as somniloquy, usually consists of brief, nonsensical utterances, lasting just one or two seconds. However, some rare examples of sleep speeches, hundreds of words long, have been recorded. Apparently, most cases of somniloquy are found in children, and the frequency decreases with age. The good news is that sleep talking is inadmissible in court. One thing for sure, sleep talking will get your spouse's attention. And it might just give them matutalipia. That's the feeling of getting up on the wrong side of the bed. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, that was absolutely fabulous talking about our dreams, Lisa. I um, I still am trying to figure out even um, every year you and I get together and we make this great tradition of, of going out for, for Christmas. And we talk about our dreams and our goals. And um, it's just so fun to then at the end of the year to go, okay, which goals, which dreams were met? And which ones are we still having to, having to work for? But it's interesting because um, you hear all the time, if you're not writing your dreams down, if you're not writing those goals down, then they truly are just wasteful dreams because you're not truly that serious about them if you can't, um, you know, make those dreams happen. And Hopefully, in the near future, we will be talking with Daryl Lyons, and Daryl is co-founder and CEO of Pax Financial Group, where he leads a team of talented people who passionately help others with their personal finances. He is a success, (laughs) you say at least, successful, successful small business entrepreneur and co-founder of the radio show Financial Mythbusters. He is just now releasing his newest book, Small Business, Big Pressure, which is a collision of wisdom and knowledge designed for the 20-year veteran of the soon-to-be or the soon-to-be entrepreneur. And when the business owner aligns everything with God, something special happens. And that is his bottom line. And that is his big dream in helping others. So we do want to welcome Daryl. How are you today? 
I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, Daryl, we have been talking about dreams, especially at the beginning of the year. And so many times we kind of let our dreams fall away. And um, I have to ask you, because this would be I like I never even thought of it as being a dream or a goal. But now that you've made it happen, I think we all need to put it on our bucket list. You have a park named after you. How did you make that happen? <laughs> I know it's kind of weird because I'm still alive, and most people have parked and after them are dead, or they wrote a big check. Yeah, and and so I'll share that story with you because there's a lot of little nuggets in it. Um, years ago, I I was on an airplane, and um, I saw a guy that looked familiar, and I thought he was a sports caster in the community, and it was the mayor. I'd gone up to him and I said, um, but first of all, I introduced myself, and then I had a. a a conversation about the things that I appreciated about our city and the things that I was good at. And so he took interest in my interest, and he uh, found a board for me to get on. And um, the, the initial board, which was a municipality, uh, it wasn't very interesting to me. And so I asked him if he could find another one, and we found one that was very interesting. And this one was responsible. It was really like a landlord uh, to a part of the community that was densely populated, low income, and uh, basically was a, a landlord to the major tenant, which was the United States Air Force. So it was basically an Air Force base. Mm. Well, the Air Force left and the left an empty footprint. You know, they were an economic engine. Frankly, you know, the, uh, uh, the serviceman would or an officer would go shopping at the local grocery store when all that all those consumers were going to leave to other bases through the base realignment and closure, that, could, that was going to be a vacuum. So it was my responsibility, along with a, a great, great team, to go out and find private industry, hospitals, science, research, technology, um, education, academic retail, hotels, all kinds of industry that can fill in that vacuum of the economic footprint that was leaving. And we did that successfully. Mm. And and as a result, that community is thriving now. There's Starbucks, there's Chick-fil-A, there's another Starbucks, there's a Starbucks inside the Starbucks bathroom. Uh, it's just one of those nice suburban areas that uh, that has thrived. And, and so as a result, when I resigned after seven years, and, um, and, and really, frankly, just a lot of volunteer time, uh, the mayor, a guy named Manny Polis, initiated all this. Uh, but the mayor, Julian Castro, who's actually now on Obama's cabinet, um, mm. said, I'm going to name a park after you. And so there's a park there. Wow. Okay. That is a great story, especially just the fact of so many times we get so caught up in just our, our workplace and our family that we don't really take the time to look beyond to go, okay, where's there a void in the community or where is there a need that I can jump in here and this is exactly where God wants me. And so I, I love stories like that. That is, that's a great story. So, yeah, there's a ton of lessons there. I mean, frankly, even one lesson I have to remind myself is, you know, to take interest, um, just look at people that you're on the plane with sometimes, you know, we're there mm -hmm. for hours. And I think about that all the time. And, and many times I just want to just dive into a book or just shut them out. And I just think about that one relationship and how it really changed my life. And, and so when we're on a plane, that's just one basic lesson to at least, you know, be considerate and get to know the people around you. Because I know that was a that was a big deal in my life. You know, I, I love that. And I think part of that, at least for me, what I have learned is I I look way too often and it, I get I love um, being driven by results. 
and you can kind of go crazy with it is to invite God into that conversation and go, okay, God, at the beginning of your day, you put the people in front of me that I need to have an impact on for you. And that can have, you know, an impact on me as well. Um, but to invite God into exactly what you're saying into that when you get on the plane. So, you know, it's truly of him and not just you looking for more busy work. Very good point. I think there's two things that I think are really critical in that. Is one, it's, we have to have a preemptive strike. So in other words, um, I I need to be um, engaged in God's spirit before I get in that environment. So I can't be so distracted. I really have to be engaged with God. So through prayer and through my quiet time, for me to actually have the eyes to see people that are hurting around me or that have needs. And um, and so I think that's the second part is – well, the first part is just to have that preemptive strike to be engaged with God. And then the second part is recognize that, uh, you know, we all put our pants on the same way, and many of us are de- dealing with challenges every day that are, real, that are very real. And mm. so w- we need to be a, a vessel, an opportunity just to, uh, just to show kindness. And, um, and, and it may not be a mayor, you know, but it may be somebody just in the midst of – of, of just a difficult time, just to, needs to hear a kind voice. Mm. Well, you know, just listening to you, and I, and I know that you are um, you're in San, San Antonio. Is that correct? Correct. Right now, and I just want you to know we have mutual friends, Randy and Roseanne Frazee. So, um, oh I no, kidding! That. Yes, yes, love them. Oh um, yeah, but, I love Randy. You know, he's just such a wonderful guy, and his book was so influential in my life. Well, and, and love you it. know. They're the real deal, and um, he's so. Re- they're both relationship oriented, which is what you sound like. You totally about the people, and you know your company has become known as one of the best places to work there. And and I and I can just hear just from this short time we've been on the radio with you. It's just because you value people and the in the relationships, and you are honoring God, and you know inviting God into the workplace and into your decision making. And into, you know, the outcome. Um, and it's not solely driven by, you know, it's easy to start leading by our own egos and our own desires and letting the flesh get in. But when we really invite God into every aspect of our life, it is amazing how he transforms. And like you said, brings people on a plane. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're allowing to use your influence and changing a part of the community. And it really doesn't get much better than that. But can you just give us some of the, some of the values that even as you were starting and dreaming about your, your company and starting it, some of the things that the core values that you go, this is, these are the non-negotiables and this is how we're going to build this company. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think it really starts uh, very, very honestly. I believe it starts with the leader taking inventory of who they are because you can't uh, expect others to do things that you're not going to do. Um, and Randy was Randy actually this Sunday. Randy Frazee was a great. He showed great leadership on the pulpit. He actually uh, encouraged the congregation to get to know the names of all the family members uh, that are around your house. And and Randy said, um, "I'm not going to tell you to do something that I haven't done." And then he and he said, "I'm going to tell you all the names of everyone in the houses that live around me." And so that is a great example of before a leader needs to go out and putting the rules in place of how the game is going to be played as an organization, Mm. the leader needs to take inventory of their relationship with God and, and really recognizing, do they trust God in each moment? Are they abiding in God? Are they experiencing the fruit of the spirit 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control. And if they're not, they need to just recognize that that's, that's a huge deficit as a leader. And so for me, when I – a lot of times people say, well, give me the formula to run a successful business to be one of the best places to work. I'm going to suggest everything rises and falls on leadership. So the leader, once they no longer lead in fear but begin to trust God in everything that they do, moment by moment, the byproduct of that is the fruit, and the fruit's not for just us. It's for the others. So then they become more generous. Then they have more self-control. Then they have peace. And that's when a company is transformed. Mm. Well, and it really does. It trickles down. And it, it starts from the top. And people are watching. They're watching how we respond, what we value, if if our actions are matching up with our words. Because we've all been a part of too many um, you know, organizations or, you know, just in, throughout life are watching people that it, there's inconsistencies there and you automatically discredit yourself, you know, and it's like, okay, people can see through that. And so it really is leading with that integrity and, and just like you said, allowing God to kind of lead and dictate and how you treat people. I think people just want to be valued and, um, you earn their respect in such huge ways with that. Well, we're going we're gonna to have to take a, a break in about a minute or so here, um, Daryl. But we just want to – it really does – it makes – it stands out. When companies are run like that with the leader that, that engaged and that aware, and like you said, we need to be aware of who we are, it really does change and trickle down. And so we come back from the break. I want to talk about some stories and, you know, just some of the people you've worked with. And, and you're part of changing lives, not just professionally but personally, um, and just some of the rewards – with that and, and seeing that because I think so many times we just think it is just about the job and the profession, but it is so much more than that. And the opportunities that God gives us to really, you know, touch lives. And like, I, you know, it goes back to your story with the guy, you know, with the mayor on the plane and changing communities. You never know what one conversation, one relationship, how it can truly, inf- you know, affect and infect, um, you know, those around and changing, you know, communities and neighborhoods and, you know, and it starts with just getting to know um, each other's name and, and, right. and, name and calling each other by name. That is so significant. So if we would just start with that simple practice, who knows where that could lead? Because we all just want to be valued and be recognized and not be that invisible person. Well, we're going to I'm going to quit talking here. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back and, and Daryl and keep talking about just the difference your company is making and just the difference leadership really does make in a company. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to the Mayo Clinic, chronic stress can lead to a variety of health and emotional problems, and yoga is a wonderful stress reducer. The core elements of Hatha Yoga are the poses and breathing. The poses or postures are a series of movements designed to increase flexibility and strength. The breathing is controlled and the breath signifies your vital energy. They report that yoga can increase your fitness, reduce your stress, help you manage chronic health conditions, and even help with weight loss. Yoga can aid you in making healthy lifestyle changes necessary to gain control of your eating and drop those excess pounds. If you have ever wanted to try yoga, September is the perfect time because September is National Yoga Month. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Back with author entrepreneur Daryl Lyons. And Daryl, before we let you get into your new book that you've just launched, um, I have to tell you, uh, you already know this, but I have to tell our listeners here's what Dave Ramsey, New York Times bestselling author, has to say about you and your new book. Uh, Daryl Lyons is a rock star in the financial world, and he's built an incredible team and business that's helping a lot of people. This book is the playbook for how he did it and how you can do it, too. So, Daryl, I have to tell you, that's an incredible endorsement from the man himself. And um, I'm gagging a little bit, so now I want to talk to your wife to find out really who you are besides the rock star. Um, you need to tell us, what are like some common mistakes that you've made that obviously you are now helping others so they won't make those same mistakes? Yeah, gosh, there's so many. Um, and, 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 I, and I know I keep going back to this, but this is really, it's been one of the most critical points in my life. And I, did, and I, and I talked about it on our last show a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's, it's really buying what Jesus was selling. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I was my attitude in life was mental toughness, extra effort for many many years, and and I don't it, it's close to fatalism theology. It really was. Uh, I just didn't know it. Fatalism being that God just put the world on 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 its axis and and he, and he spins it and lets it go and sees what happens. And I call upon him anytime I'm feeling down, uh, almost like a a passenger on a turbulent airplane. That was my approach to Christianity. Um, and I had a significant event in my life that caused me to pivot completely and become dependent upon him moment by moment. And I took inventory of the successful people I know. And because I get to – I advise thousands of people over the years from CEOs uh, to, to – I mean, just all across the board, you can imagine, I get to see people's wallets. And I just realized that it didn't matter how much you had – People were still living in worry and fear, and and that really, I just, I was really looking for this silver lining. I was, you know, growing up poor, I thought, okay, if you have money, that solves all the problems. But when I'm working with wealthy people and realizing that they're dealing with with a deep level of anxiety, and there was a God-shaped hole in their heart, uh, mm-hmm. I really was hungry to find the solution. And and there was not one other than abiding on God moment by moment, and so. 
that's something that's really important to me that I share with people because I just know the challenges that they deal with. And, and that's more spiritual. I can certainly get into some practical stuff as well, but that one's really, really important to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned uh, just kind of seeing the most successful people in your life. Um, I, I just read that recently on how people don't read books. And I, I, I want you to talk a little bit about um, your, your latest one that you just wrote. But 25% of people have not read a book in the last year. And that that really just blows my mind. And um, just as we're starting out January, if um, if you read one hour per day in like your chosen field, you would literally become an international expert in seven years. And yet we choose to watch crazy things like reality shows or spend an hour on Facebook and Instagram or whatever it is that we choose to just kind of, you know, whittle our time away. So on, on that note of, um, you know, what you said is so significant, significant on the spiritual realm of obviously, yes, we have to have, you know, Christ in the center of everything. And then I, I read, you know, recently so many times, you know, we hear that line of if, the door doesn't open, God will, you know, open up another door or whatever. And someone said, sometimes you have to kick that door down. (laughs) So sometimes we do have to be the one that's like, okay, God, we've invited you into the day. Now we have to work hard at it. And I think one of that is just, what are we doing with our time? And if you're hearing, okay, most people don't read. How about if you challenge yourself to, you know, read that one book per, per month or, you know, one hour per day or, or whatever it is, because those are the people that are truly making a difference. It's leaders are readers. And with that, I do want to transition transition into tell us your um, your book that obviously Dave Ramsey has just called you a rock star with and how we can find your book. Yeah, absolutely. So and, and I'm I'm a huge reader. I love reading and, and the 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 book is a culmination of the many books that I've read over the years that have influenced my life. Um, read every night um, when I go to bed, and then when I get in the, up in the morning, I spend my quiet time with God, and I read then too. So it's a big, big part of my life, and, and I'm discouraged that people don't do it more often. Um, mm-hmm. Biographies are a great way to read. I love biographies, and I learn so much from the lives of other people. But my book is Small Business, Big Pressure. Thank you for asking. And um, it's a faith-based approach for the ambitious entrepreneur. And the genesis of the book was uh, me winning awards, our company winning awards, and entrepreneurs calling me and asking me uh, how to run their business, how to do marketing, how to do operations. There were so many questions that I had recognized that there was a, a gap in the marketplace for leadership, for small business leadership. So I taught classes in the community, and those classes would fill up. They were free, and I enjoyed doing it. And I looked at the content of the classes, which was my messy desk of books and papers, and I go, you know, I've got enough content here. If I can get my act together, I could actually have a book, and that could really help people. And so I spent a year writing, and then I spent a year editing because I don't know where commas go. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Dave got a hold of the initial manuscript, and, and it was very much aligned with his message, and and, and along with a handful of others, including Randy Frazee, uh, went ahead and endorsed the book. And uh, it's done real well. So Morgan James had picked it up and, as a New York publisher, and so now it just launched January 5th, 2016. Mm. 
Well, you know, and, and, and that's such a great way of how just how it evolved. You know, you're giving classes, you're talking, and then you get so many questions. You're like, okay, I cannot keep up with all these questions and putting together to write. Okay, it, there is such a discipline in sitting down to write. And did that was that something that just came easy to you or is, was that, and then what did you learn from that process of writing and having to, you know, kind of take your thoughts and, and put them in a kind of an organized fashion. And then what is it that you truly want the reader to walk away with? I have a lot of questions in that question. So I think I can get them. So, um, the process was very difficult, um, for me because I'm busy just like anybody else and I had to sacrifice time which wasn't my family it was typically a little sleep uh, so um, sometimes like around nine o'clock I would um, write till uh, 11 12 um, and I didn't play any golf I'm not a golfer anyways but I but I set aside a lot of um, a lot of recreation I guess that was probably one thing that I cut out just for a little while and just a season in life is no big deal uh, I did. I did. I had a Surface Pro. Uh, that was nice because I could kind of carry it everywhere. And and, and uh, I got sick once. I got strep throat where I could function in my brain, but I couldn't speak. So that gave me a week to actually uh, go to a coffee shop and isolate myself. And I typed up then. It did, it was long. It was hard. I'm not. I was. A, I'm a decent student. I am definitely above average student, but I'm not uh, valedictorian. I'm not uh, genius. So I really had to go through every single. Uh, really statement, pretty much every statement in the book, and ask myself if I truly believe this, or is this is this accurate, right? And so that would require me to do some other digging, and I was a, a bit of a, a nerd that way, uh, because I really wanted to have a good product for people to be able to help them. Um, and, and so what I really wanted people to get initially out of the book was very practical steps of how to run and manage and start a business and lead others. It was very, it was just a practical playbook. Then I gave the manuscript to my business partner and he said, you know, you talk about God in here, but you don't really, it's not really an expression of who you are. And that required me to do something that was uh, difficult. And that required me to be courageously vulnerable. And doing so, I knew I had to express my faith in a way that that's tricky because, you know, you're setting yourself up. And and so I went ahead and did that, and that's no regrets now because that's been one of the greatest part of the books. A part of the book is uh, my expression of faith. So if, if people read the book, one of the things that uh, I would really like them to get is just know more about their, how to run a business, just very practical, very cerebral, and then also recognize how important it is to d- depend on God in these stressful situations, especially being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Well, you answered the questions very well. They kept, you, I, I'm impressed that you kept up with that because, um, and you had it all organized. Um, and you know what? We don't talk about that. You talk about being vulnerable. That is something that's very difficult for us to be. And I think I, I know for myself, I have a hard time when you, especially when you're putting it on social media or you're putting it out there, you feel, you do feel so vulnerable when you're putting things out there and people are free or it seems like to be able to express their opinions or to attack it or whatever. So you never know the response you're going to get when you step into that. But at the same time, 
like you said, you discovered something by allowing yourself to be more vulnerable with that and, and how God has used that in transforming. And I think that's where transformation happens is in those places about, you know, being vulnerable and, uh, and, and kind of exposing yourself a little bit and what really matters to you. And so, um, we just appreciate your candor with that and, and just leading by example, um, which is so you just, you don't see that a lot. Um, you see words that don't match the actions, but we just have Daryl less than two minutes and so appreciate you and how you lead the difference and how you inspire us to, to lead, um, and lead in our communities even, and, and just, you know, realizing the significance of relationships. What is it you would like our readers to, uh, our listeners to walk away with and how can they find you? Sure. Um, you can find me at smallbusinessbigpressure.com. You can also uh, find me on Twitter, Daryl W. Lyons. And I always think LinkedIn is one of the most professional uh, vehicles out there, so LinkedIn's a good one too. So I typically accept most requests those in those uh, platforms. And, and I always also love to hear people that are encouraged um, and are making changes in their lives as a result of the message. Uh, and, and that's what I really want for people to realize is that we live in the greatest nation that has uh, – the greatest environment for entrepreneurs, and, and that's, that's there's evidence to show that by the number of patents that are produced each year. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I think there's a responsibility mm-hmm. for us to be good stewards with that. And 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 so as Christians, we've got to take um, our business real seriously. And uh, and so I want somebody who is an entrepreneur or leader or business owner to start taking their role a little bit more seriously and how they're depending on Christ. Um, and people are watching you, more change will take place in the marketplace than it will in front of the pulpit. The numbers just show that. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to encourage people to play that role. Well, we appreciate you who have challenged us and realizing that our leadership does matter. So thank you for speaking into our leadership and, and challenging us to think differently and think deeper. Thanks for joining our show. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the 